the debt ceiling deal is not a good deal. This is not a good deal for the Republicans. You know how you know it's not a good deal? Because look who's happy right now. Look who's not. I mean, the Democrats are giddy. The Democrats are happy. And the media is happy. They're celebrating. And the Republicans, I'm not saying they're not going to vote for it. The Republicans, it looks like most of them will vote for it, except for the you know real conservatives, the Freedom Caucus. But they're not happy. They're begrudgingly going to vote for this thing. But it's not like they're celebrating. That's how you know. That's your litmus test. And actually, a caller, a listener left me a voicemail making that point. So why is this not a good deal? I'm going to explain that coming up. The IRS has fired the entire team investigating Hunter Biden. Isn't that convenient? I mean, you cannot make this stuff up. The IRS has literally fired the entire team investigating Hunter Biden for tax fraud and tax evasion, all sorts of other crimes. And, you know, what do I always say? If you're going to commit tax fraud, then make sure that your father is president because it's so much more convenient if you're going to accept bribes from China. It makes things so much simpler if your father is the president, and especially if he's a corrupt president and uh, the leader of the Biden crime family. Hunter Biden, by the way, the renowned artist, his his artwork sells for literally half a million dollars a piece. I mean, Hunter Biden, have you ever seen a more talent? It's because he's so talented. Have you seen a more talented painter? You know, you think they're buying access to the White House? I mean, Hunter Biden, he's like the next Picasso and uh, a, a government official in India. We're going to get to more of that stuff coming up, but the government official in India has been suspended after he had an entire reservoir drained to retrieve his cell phone, which he dropped into the res- to the bottom of the reservoir. You can't make this stuff. It's like I'm reading the Babylon Bee here. Only these are actual stories. These are these are these are fact, not fiction. Uh, he dropped it. He was taking a selfie into a reservoir and uh, in front of a reservoir, drops it into the bottom. Drains the entire thing, and now he's been suspended. That's coming up. The debt ceiling deal, as I said, great point by the listener. The litmus test is Democrats are happy. Republicans are sort of maybe they're like apologetically happy. Like they keep explaining to us why we're not going to get everything. You know, Democrats aren't aren't saying that. Listen, we're not going to get everything we want. But like I keep hearing Republicans say that we're not going to make everybody happy. We're not going to get everything that we want. Well, can we finally get everything? Why can't we get everything that we want? Why can't we at least get I'm going to tell you how much of what we wanted we did not get. You're going to be shocked, but we had so much leverage here. But the Republicans gave away the bank, got virtually nothing in return, squandered their leverage because this is the most leverage they are going to get, this debt ceiling. Democrats are terrified of default. The White House is terrified of default. And McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, who I like, and I still like him, but he folded like a cheap suit, let's be honest. Uh, We'll get into more details, but here's what you need to know in a nutshell about the debt ceiling deal. They gave Biden unlimited, an unlimited borrowing power, unlimited debt ceiling until— 2025 through 2020 through the the beginning of 2025 which is of course after the election that's a disaster that means biden can keep borrowing he's going to borrow trillions of dollars until the election what they needed to do is they needed to make this thing expire before november of 2024 before the upcoming election because obviously that would retain a lot of leverage terrible job there zero spending cuts there were spent there are spending caps they froze spending but there's a big difference between that and the and the massive spending cuts that we were promised they did not repeal student loan forgiveness, no work requirements for Medicaid, and they did not defund the IRS, the $80 billion that's been allocated to the IRS, which they promised to do. So look, this played out exactly as we expected it to play out. We, we knew that, there were, that they were not going to default. They never default. Uh, we, we were concerned that McCarthy would cave, and McCarthy essentially caved. So I'm going to give you full analysis on the debt ceiling deal coming up, what is in the deal, what's not in the deal. Two employees at a Lululemon store. By the way, I don't really know what a Lululemon store is, but I, I know they're pretty popular these days. Some, some sort of clothing situation. But two employees at a Lululemon store in Georgia have been fired 
fired because they tried to prevent the store from being robbed. Uh, Not a joke. You can't make this stuff up. Two employees of Lululemon have been fired after they filmed. Here's what they did. Okay, they watched these thugs robbing the store. And by the way, these same thugs, the same group, they, 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 they entered the store repeatedly, robbed the store, shoplifted the store, basically ransacked the store, and then grabbed the thousands of dollars of merchandise and left. They did this a bunch of times. And at a certain point, these employees just said, we can't take it anymore. So here's what they did. What got them fired, okay? What was their, like, egregious sin here? They filmed these thugs robbing the store, and then they called 911 to report the robbery. Okay, and where do you get to the part that got them fired? Yeah, that's the part, is... They filmed these people robbing the store, and then they called 911 to actually report the robbery, and those were violations of the store's policy, which is that you cannot interfere, including apparently call the police, but you cannot interfere. I don't know if it was the calling the police or the videoing them or both, but literally this is why they were fired is because somehow this is the policy of the Lululemon store. Let the shoplifters do their shoplifting. Let them steal. Let them rob. And then do not do anything about it. Don't confront them. Don't video them. And do not call the police because somehow that could endanger other employees and and it could endanger customers in the store. So once again, the good guys get punished. The bad guys go free. Like, why would anybody actually pay for something? Pay for if, if the store's policy is do not call the cops, do not confront them, do not try to prevent them from shoplifting. So, like, how foolish do people have to be to actually pay for merchandise. Isn't that essentially saying you can come and take it for free here, come into the store. All right, well, what do you do if I rob the store? Well, nothing. Well, what do you do if I just take the stuff and I don't pay for it? Well, nothing. Do you try to stop me? Do you even say anything to me? Do you casually say, hey, by the way, you forgot to pay? No, do not look at them. Just do not even go anywhere near them. Just uh, ignore the whole thing and report it after the fact to your boss. Report it to your boss, but do not call the cops. So Rachel Rogers, sales associate at this store in Peachtree Corners, Georgia. She was there for five years. And she just got fed up after the fourth or fifth time. The same group of thugs came into the store and uh, shoplifted, called 911, took a video of the thieves. And look, and then she was fired a week later, breaching the company policy, which is zero tolerance for responding to thieves, to shoplifters. If you respond, you lose your job. And look, I watched the video. Okay, so that you can make the case they were yelling at the shoplifters. They were confronting the shoplifters. They were chasing them out of the store. So it's not like they were just videoing it from far away and trying to remain unnoticed, okay? I'll, I, I'll give you that, is that they were chasing them out of the store and saying, what are you doing? Stop stealing our merchandise. However, that's not a reason to get fired, okay? That, in fact, they deserve a medal for their bravery, for their heroism, okay? But what, what is really the rationale? What's really going on over here? What's the rationale behind the policy, if there is one, okay? They're saying, look, if you engage shoplifters, there could be violence. It could, you know, that could, that could cause them to, like, attack in self-defense, Okay, I understand that. I really don't believe that's why these employees were fired. These employees are trying to protect the store, protect the merchandise, trying to rid society of these vicious thugs. I don't believe that the policy is, listen, you're going to do something, you're going to get people hurt. If that's the case, that's the case. But here's what I think. I think, number one, we know that the police, uh, they don't, and it's not the police's fault, it's these woke DAs, but we know that they don't prosecute these people anymore. These people, they go and shoplift and get away with it and just come back again and again because they, 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 don't, get, they don't get prosecuted. They don't get put in jail, okay, because of these woke leftists running these you know, DA offices. So 
it's pointless, right? Now, meanwhile, the company, they don't want a scene. They don't want to create a scene. The next thing, you call the cops, then it becomes a whole big scene, and that's going to scare away other customers, so it's going to be bad for business, okay? So what do they do? They allow the shoplifters to steal the merchandise, and basically, the reason they do this is because uh, they realize that we just have to write it off. There's going to be shoplifting. There's nothing we can do to prevent it, right, except sometimes that they, they, they lock this merchandise behind lock and key, but other than that, there's like nothing they can do. And well, then who get, who who ends up suffering? Who ends up paying for it? Those of us who actually pay for the merchandise, those of us who actually pay when we go to the store, we're the ones who end up paying extra because they need these companies are not losing money. Okay, it's not like these companies are like, well, we're going to go bankrupt, but at least these shoplifters can get stuff for free. That's not what's happening. So what's happening is they end up raising the prices on all of those of us who are paying customers who obey the law. We get charged double to compensate. For these shoplifters, it is literally redistribution of wealth. It is a form of redistribution of wealth. And look, you know, that's how twisted society has become, is that the good guys keep losing and getting punished, whether it's getting arrested or getting fired, and the bad guys are literally being protected. It it is twisted. It is sickening. It, it It is just disgraceful. Now, it's hard to compare it to, like, Stoyim and Amira. I understand we can't draw a comparison, but... You know, obviously, we have no idea. You can't make those kinds of comparisons. I get that. I, I only want to compare it on – there's one level here, which is very important, is that I don't believe Steinman and Moira – it, it, it wasn't like just they were – right? We know some of the more famous stories how uh, the Medrash talks about how they actually tortured and murdered – a woman, a young woman, because she gave charity, she gave food to a poor person. She saw a poor person, poor person she gave him stucca, she gave charity, and uh, as a result, they brutally tortured and, and murdered that obviously poor girl. Horrific story, right? So I don't believe that it was just that they were just evil and sociopathic. I'd like to believe, I could be wrong, it was systemic, okay? That's the difference. It was when it's systemic, it's by design. So there's a difference between society just being just being a bunch of anarchy, just being a bunch of whack jobs who are going around, or when the government actually puts these policies in place and it becomes systemic. So I believe, I once heard an explanation by this. I once heard a Rav explain that Stoyman Amira, I think it was just his own theory. I don't know if he got it from somewhere, but that Stoyman Amira... Why did they do that? Why did they punish people who gave charity? Because they believed it was, you know, it was almost like an extreme version of capitalism, but very extreme, where they believed, you know what? Everybody has to fend for themselves, and if you give charity, then you're taking away people, which obviously, this is a terrible, terrible thing. Obviously, it's pure evil, but I'm just explaining there's a rationale there, and I'm not saying this is accurate. Just throwing this out there. Maybe there's another rationale. Maybe they didn't want to show, you know, that there were, that there were, that there was poverty there, whatever. Some, some kind of a, you know, crazy, twisted uh, philosophy that they had of, listen, you cannot be giving charity, but maybe it's because, listen, we need people to, to force them to work on their own and to fend for themselves, and therefore you cannot be giving charity. I don't know. But I don't believe that Stein and Amira is just randomly that they were just very, very crazy, twisted people. I believe that there was some kind of methodology to their madness. It was systemic. And on that level, we have a similar thing going on in our society right now. Obviously, not even close to the same extent. I understand that. But that's where it gets t- terrifying is how systemic it's becoming. Oh, yeah, the shoplifters, let the shoplifters go. Oh, you're going to interfere with the shoplifters? Well, then you get fired. All right, so let's get into the debt ceiling agreement as promised. Um, and I want to play you a couple of clips here of Kevin McCarthy because I think they're very – they tell us a lot. But the Republicans, we got almost nothing out of this. I mean the big win I keep hearing is no new taxes. Well, at least they, we did, they, they didn't raise taxes. Like – didn't raise taxes. It's talking about the debt ceiling, like raise taxes. Like that's that that's the big win. And and what happens is, um, 
that actually is a, a win, believe it or not, because in the past, they'll have a debt ceiling situation, right? And it'll be like, well, okay, we're going to borrow more money, but how are we going to offset borrowing more money and offset raising the debt ceiling? Let's cut spending. So the Democrats say, well, uh, uh, cut spending. I don't want to cut spending. I want to raise taxes, and that'll increase the revenue. Uh and, and, like, that's what they end up doing. So what happens is that becomes the bar. So now, because new taxes are, are usually included in one of these deals, and now they're not including higher taxes because that, that much McCarthy didn't allow, so now that's a win. Hey, guys, listen, yeah, you know, we gave in. We're raising the debt ceiling for $4 trillion or so and very few conditions, but at least we didn't raise taxes. And, like, suddenly that becomes a win because, again, compared. And that's if you listen to this clip carefully of McCarthy. I'm going to play you two clips here, but, like, that's his bar. That's his – and I give him credit. He's actually being pretty honest about this. He's not trying to sell this as like this phenomenal victory. It's more like, well, yeah, look, it's not the best, but compare it to others, it's a better victory than they've had in the past with these debt ceiling deals because the that's how low the bar is. So listen to this clip. This is Fox News Sunday. So let's put it at that point. Um, there's a lot there. But on that issue of spending, the White House is sending around its side. And, of course, they're going to take credit, too, and, and want a victory lap. They say this. There are no budget caps after 2025, only non-enforceable appropriations targets. We all know how non-enforceable targets work in Washington. So they say you might have gotten something for a year or two, but after that, there's nothing to it. No. First of all, watch what the government has done before. They increased it. Okay, but are they, are they not before. telling us the truth there? No, you have a statutory cap on there. We've got to be able to stay in the majority, then we could have a rule to be able to keep it going Stay forward. The, the other thing you have here, too, is for the very first time, you have administrative PACO. We had a president that spent another $1.5 trillion around Congress. That can no longer happen. Meaning if he That's takes executive statute. actions, I'm sorry, what? meaning if he takes executive actions, he's got he's to cut to be able to go forward. Talk about where he's going to pay for it. He doesn't have to talk about it. He has to do it. That would have saved us $1.5 trillion in the first two years of this presidency. That's a major savings. That has never been in law before, and now it's being put into law. If you look at each movement here, this is a whole new direction. Just think about how this even came to fruition. Normally, you have a 1,000-page bill. This is going to be less than 150 pages. Normally, the country doesn't know about it till after it's passed. No, we'll wait 72 hours. This is worthy of the American people. I want them to read it. I want them to understand it. We only have the majority in one house with a five-seat majority, with a president who said we would never talk about this, who had Chuck Schumer said this would be a clean debt ceiling. We would just raise it. That's not the case. You've got work requirements to help people out of poverty into jobs. You've got reforms that we can build things, cut the red tape. We capped so the president can't just spend money wildly. We're at all right, we'll talk about the work requirements shortly. Those are huge disappointment. But uh, look, I give him credit. Like I said, he's honest. So he's not you know, He's not going to give us like this fake phony fluff of, uh, well, you know, there really are spending cuts and this and that. Like there are no spending cuts. He's admitting there are no spending cuts. And by the way, the spending caps are non-binding, as I'll explain what that means in a moment. He admits all that, but it's like, hey, but it's better. He said it right there. He said, hey, but it's better than in the past. It's, it's not a 1,000-page bill. It's a 150-page bill. We're actually going to know what's in it before we – which is nice. I do give him credit. That's a change. Under Pelosi, you didn't know what was in the bill until it was actually passed, as she herself said, by Obamacare and others. 
and now they have 72 hours and all of that, fine. It's going to be simpler. It's going to be 150 pages, not 1,000. I get it. That's not what we wanted, okay? We wanted to cut spending by $130 billion, which is what they promised, and that's not happening, not even close. In fact, they're not cutting, cutting spending by a single dime. But what they're doing these spending caps, and she called him on it, Shannon Bream, and she was correct, and he admitted it, which is the spending caps are only binding for the first two years. So it's, they're freezing spending at, at this year's level for the next two years. And by the way, they could have done it anyway because they're going to be in charge of the next two budgets. But the issue is that they're freezing them at such a high rate where there's already a $1.5 trillion deficit. COVID. COVID made this whole new level of spending out of control spending. I mean, ridiculous, off the charts, unthinkable spending here, obscene levels, uh, $1.5 trillion deficit, and we're going to freeze it at that level. I mean, that's just insanity. You know, we, we, we've got to cut it. And of course, he didn't. Uh, they didn't cut it, which is very disturbing. And, and, and then she says, well, but after the first two years, it's not binding. It's just some kind of statutory thing, which basically means that it's a formality. And McCarthy admitted it. He's like, well, yeah, we have to stay in power. Always stay in power. Stay in power. We, we're barely in power right now. And you want to stay in power. Now they're trying to knock George Santos out. So that's going to potentially take away and, and he'll be he very possibly in and in, they'll, they'll they'll have to do a special election and he gets replaced by a Democrat because he's in a relatively Democrat district in New York. But um, like that's very, very disturbing that they only froze spending and even the spending freeze only lasts for two years. And then after that, we have to stay in power in order to continue. And then he brings up that point about how Biden, in order to do an executive action to spend more money, that would have to be offset by some kind of spending cut. Okay, nice. But again, not at all a big deal. Not what we were hoping for. And here's what they do, by the way, is they have this thing. Rush Limbaugh used to talk about this all the time. They have baseline spending. So every year, you know, they talk about freezing spending. What do you mean freezing spending? Like, why is that even an issue? Why does that even have to be negotiated? Because they have baseline spending, which means that every year it goes up by a certain percent. So it's automatic. If they spend a certain level this year, then it automatically goes up next year and the year after that. So now they call it a spending cap. It's not a spending, it's a spending cap, yeah. yeah they used to call it a, a spending cut, but the Republicans are a little bit more honest, but um, it, 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 that shouldn't even be a win. That shouldn't even be a thing, okay? It, it, it should automatically be you spend at the same levels unless, you know, you vote to raise, to, to increase the following year. No, it, it automatically, by default, it increases unless you cap it. So, and by the way, they are going to cap it. They're going to cap it at 1% in upcoming years, just the first year, the first two years where it's actually frozen. Um, all right, the work requirements. So here, let me explain the work requirements. There are three uh, programs where they were the Republicans were pushing for work requirements. SNAP, something called TANF, TANF, which we'll get to in a moment, and Medicaid, okay? SNAP is food stamps. And essentially, the, the Democrats shot down the Medicaid work requirements, and that's disgraceful, okay? Why are able-bodied males? So there is there are no work requirements for Medicaid as part of this Deal and in general. Now, why on earth are able bodied males, age 30, age 40, age 20, why are they allowed to be on Medicaid and not have to work? They're literally allowed to not work and, and, and they're on Medicaid. And it's, it's just egregious. I mean, of course, they should be working. If you want Medicaid, they can volunteer. Maybe they can't find a job. They, all they need to do is volunteer. OK, you can always volunteer. So it just needs to be 20, 30 hours a week, whatever the requirement would be. And yet they're they qualify for Medicaid and Democrats resisted this. And McCarthy folded and caved and it's disgraceful. Now, they do have work requirements for SNAP and TANF, but those are already in place. They All they did was they raised, they increased the age. So it was like age 49. Uh, males, able-bodied males up until age 49 have work requirements for SNAP and TANF, and now they're raising it to age 54 or 55. Okay, big deal. I mean, that is just not a major deal. 
And the proof of all this, by the way, that this is not a good... McCarthy, he, like in this clip, he was trying to sell this thing, right? He's trying to show us how great it is and highlight how it's really a win for the Republicans. And like the best he could come up with were work requirements, these other minor things, the you know the executive spending rule where Biden can't just spend money. I'm not even sure if they can enforce that, by the way, but he has to offset it with uh, spending cuts somewhere else. That's only executive. That's nothing to do with Congress. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a 150-page bill, not a 1,000-page bill. Okay, very nice. Not the big victory that we were hoping for, right? Not the, all the all those promises. And and look, I, I'm not. You see me. I'm trying to temper myself. I'm trying to be careful, not be too negative. I'm not happy about this. Okay, I think this is a, a, almost a disaster. I don't want to use hyperbole. I, I like McCarthy. Okay, I, I I think that he's honest. I think that he's doing the best that he can. Maybe, but it's rigged. This whole system is rigged. Both sides are in cahoots. So they're like they're 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 winking at each other. They knew going in. McCarthy knew how far Biden was going to budge, and the Democrats were going to budge. And that's what's so upsetting about this thing is that, like, you know, wink, wink, okay, we got a deal. We come out. Each side is trying to say that it's really a win. We really did well here. All right. And uh, let's listen to also from Fox News Sunday uh, another clip of McCarthy. Washington Post, writing about this yesterday, um, said this about what's ultimately in the deal. They said the White House agreed to an inflation-adjusted reduction in direct spending on discretionary programs, but one that will be mitigated by redirecting funds from other areas, such as the money clawed back from Internal Revenue Service expansion. Spending on these programs will rise by 1% in 2025 under the deal. There's a question about whether a lot of this is just a wash, if they're just moving money from one place to another. Let's think about this. The president increases by $6 trillion. We have always said we're going to call back money, and then we're going to let Congress let government only grow at 1%. Why? Because it's been growing at 33% with the Democrats on discretionary spending. The president said we could only look at about 14% of the entire budget to get this done. We've been able to achieve that in this short time frame. But think about what else we repealed. This is the largest rescission in American history. You can add up all the rescissions from all the other Congress. This is greater. And what are we pulling back? CDC's Global Health Fund. So no longer are we sending $400 million of American taxpayers' money to China. We continue to pull that back. That is a victory for the American public. And I'll debate this bill with anybody because at the end of the day, is it everything I wanted? No. But we don't control all of it. But it is the biggest rescission in history. Okay, so he keeps focusing on these like minor wins. It, it, he said it himself. Is it everything we wanted? No. I mean, the fact that the Republicans keep saying that, that tells you an awful lot here. He, he debated with anybody. I'll debate it with you, Kevin. I'd love to debate it with you, Mr. Speaker. But And I'll get into a couple more details over here. But again, biggest rescission ever. So again, all, all he's doing is he's agreeing. She's saying, listen, you're not cutting spending, which they're not. They promised us $130 billion spending cuts. They gave us zero. Zero dollars being cut. I want to be clear. And McCarthy doesn't deny that. To his credit, he's being very honest. He's just trying to couch it and, like, reframe it and, like, listen to this rescission. What he means by that is that we're taking the money, the COVID relief money that was not being used for COVID relief, and we're going to now apply it to other spending. So yeah, he basically agrees to her, yes, we're shifting things around. And is that a big win, shifting around the spending? We have trillions of dollars of debt, trillions of dollars of deficits, and, well, we're shifting things around, though, so the COVID money is being wasted. It's a nice, tiny, tiny sliver of a victory. It's a shred of a victory. But it's nowhere near what they promised, nowhere near what we were hoping for. And he wasted his leverage. I mean, they had so much leverage here because, and, and I'll, I'll quote you shortly, Shortly, a listener left me a voicemail saying Biden would have defaulted. A couple of my listeners said Biden would have defaulted, and, and therefore McCarthy had less leverage than you, than you think. I don't agree with that, but we'll get. And, and, and by the way, so default, big deal, go and default. Biden would have gotten a lot more blame than the Republicans, but I don't believe that. But um, 
Let me give you some more details of this deal. Like I said, f- spending freeze for two years. They repealed $1.9 billion in IRS funding. Now, this is also very crucial. This is a big loss, okay, for the Republicans. Let me explain why. $1.9 billion, that's very temporary. What happened was they're $80 billion. They, they, we know they're hiring. The IRS is hiring 87000 They're going to need to hire a couple of new employees because they fired those employees who were investigating Hunter. But IRS, right, they are uh, hiring 87,000 new employees, mostly to target middle class, by the way, with audits and stuff. And $80 billion were allocated to that over the next however many years, 10 years or whatever. So they repealed $1.9 billion. That's this year's expense. They, 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 they wanted, McCarthy wanted to repeal $80 billion and Biden pushed back or whoever's running the show because we know it's not Biden. I don't know if Biden could spell IRS, but uh, they pushed back. And as a result, they only cut this year's, which is $1.9 billion. Okay, that's nice, but they're still going to be able to hire. If they had repealed the, the whole $80 billion, they would not have been able to hire the 87000 Now they're going to be able to hire them without having to push it off or they're going to have to borrow against it or whatever. They're going to take back COVID relief money, which is not being used for COVID. But compare all of that. And by the way, the student loan, they, they are not repealing um, the Biden student loan forgiveness, as I'll explain in a moment. Biden, uh, McCarthy initially promised to cut spending by $130 billion, And they not only promised, they actually passed the bill with all of these things in it. Work requirements for Medicaid recipients, rescinding $80 billion allocated to the IRS, eliminate and repeal uh, Biden student loan forgiveness. All of those things are off the table. They're resuming. Now, what they are doing is there was a pause. Certain student loan payments, but this is not at all relevant to Biden's um, forgiveness of student loans. He's literally forgiving tens of millions of uh, student loan holders of like $20,000 worth of their student loans. So, I mean, it's going to cost billions and billions of dollars student loan forgiveness. McCarthy's not touching that. This deal is not touching that. What it is doing is there was a pause on other student loans, on like most or all student loans in the country. There was a pause. The White House was anyway going to was going to resume that, that, that pause anyway. They were going to resume those student loan pay, payments Anyway, and McCarthy maybe sped it up. So that's why I said the whole process is rigged because, you know, McCarthy's hailing that as a victory. Well, you know, we we are unfreezing the student loan payments that were frozen by Biden. Okay, very nice. Biden was planning to do that in a couple of in a few weeks. Maybe it's happening faster than it was going to happen. Big deal. But as far as the big student loan forgiveness, which is hundreds of billions of dollars that taxpayers are going to lose, like Biden is saying, we're literally like McCarthy saying, I should say, we're literally borrowing money from China, borrowing billions of dollars from China so that we can cover student loans that these college graduates are not paying up. Meanwhile, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat leader in the House, he's actually complaining. He's saying Democrats got nothing in this deal. Now, Now, it's not true, as we've told you. Democrats got plenty in this deal, but Democrats are not supposed to get anything This is not a spending package. okay? Democrats look at this as like, oh, well, time to raise taxes, debt ceiling negotiations, time to raise that. The debt ceiling negotiations are about one thing. They're about raising the debt ceiling. And and boy, did they get that. They literally got unlimited. They could raise it by four or five trillion dollars because it's 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 not capped by an amount of money. It's capped by time. So they're saying up until 2025, go and borrow into oblivion, borrow as much as you want. And. And no consequences, unconditional increase of the debt ceiling until after 2024 election. So that's what they got, which is egregious. But that's what they're supposed to get. Like, so what's 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 Hakeem Jeffrey saying that we didn't get anything again? He's it's all part of the script. Um, all right. What else? This deal, like I said, will take back billions of dollars in unspent covid relief funds. And get this, by the way, the Democrats are complaining this this deal is going to take back billions in unspent covid relief funds. Democrats are upset about that now. 
there's nothing logically you could possibly be upset over literally hundreds of billions of dollars that were allocated to COVID relief that is not being used to COVID relief because right now, thankfully, Baruch Hashem, there's no need for COVID relief. COVID, the pandemic is over. So obviously you take that money by gratitude to brainer, right? So the Democrats are saying no because that money was given to health officials and they're using it to research other uh, diseases. And now they're not going to be able to use that to research other diseases. So it's going to hurt uh, public health. Uh, like, this is the logic. Like, uh, we don't have this money. We're borrowing this money from China, right? We do not have this money. We're borrowing trillions and trillions from China. COVID relief, that money was emergency funding, which we do not have. And it was because there was a pandemic. It, was, it, it wasn't like, well, let's allocate money to some sort of um, public health. You know, let's allocate money to CDC or the FDA or, or some sort of public health fund. And all right, we'll, we'll, we'll send it. it. It was COVID relief, spe- specifically earmarked for COVID relief because, because, because the COVID pandemic was considered this massive public health emergency. And now COVID is over. And obviously, you're going to take that money back. And the Democrats are upset because, well, how can you take that money back? You're, you're going to hurt people who are sick. You're going to hurt sick people. That's literally what they're saying. All right, so Caller made the point, the following point. This is a listener who calls, leaves me a lot of voicemails, very, very astute, very smart, very engaged. And he says, Biden would have defaulted. And he says, here's why. And he made a point that we've made in the past. He said, Biden doesn't know what's going on, right? Joe Biden does not understand any of these negotiations, okay? He's only doing, he's a puppet, okay? He's, he's a marionette. They're, like, they're literally pulling the strings. There's somebody pulling the strings. It might be the Obamas, you know, it might be the people in charge of the White House. It's not Kareem Jean-Pierre because she actually doesn't know any, any more than, than Biden knows. But um, so he said like this, you know, he basically, the, the point he made is that the reason, look at Biden on the, on the border, look at Biden on inflation. The Biden presidency is a disaster. Afghanistan pullout. Biden allows that stuff to happen because he doesn't know any better. No, they want these policies. The radicals have taken over. They want these policies to be put into place, radical policies. Yes, it's terrible for the country. Yes, Biden's approval numbers are in the tank, but they don't care. And Biden doesn't know any better. If there was a president, if it was Obama or a president who knew what's going on, he would say, you're not killing my legacy like this. But Biden, they can t- totally take advantage of, which is 100 percent true. Therefore, what, what, what a couple of calls made this point is they're willing to default because the people in charge, all they care about is tanking the economy, whatever their agenda is. That's all they care about, and Biden doesn't have the presence of mind to stop them from uh, putting forth this radical agenda, okay? So therefore, the Biden would have defaulted, and he said, therefore, as I don't believe that, by the way. I think even the people, I agree that that, that, that Biden is being totally controlled by his people, but uh, I don't think they would go so far as to default. It has never happened. I just don't believe it. Maybe I'm wrong. There's a certain line they're just not willing to cross, but I'll go even a step further. Let's even say that Biden would default. Let's even say that's true. You got to do that. Trump said it in in the town hall. You got to default, and if 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 they default, yeah, obviously the media is going to blame McCarthy, blame the Republicans. But oh, that would be a disaster for Biden. It would be a disaster. You default, and you know what? Force them to 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 to, to not be able to pay the bills, and Biden will get the blame. The White House will get the blame. They won't be able to avoid it. I think it's worth it. You know, if after a few weeks you see it's not going well, then you can always recon- reconsider that. But it, 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 call Biden's bluff, default, and. Uh, and force him to cut spending and see who kind of caves in first. That's what they definitely should have done, assuming that Biden would have defaulted, which I don't believe. Uh, All right, let's move on to other news of the day here. Uh, Congresswoman Cori Bush, squad, member of the squad, she says that the Biden administration, they're not banning gas stoves. They're regulating, get this, indoor air pollution. You can't make this stuff up. She's talking about, of course, and they did it in New York State, and now Biden wants to ban gas stoves uh, nationally around the country. Okay, Cori Bush, the the socialist member of the squad, she says, no, no, you got it wrong. Biden's not 
banning gas stoves. He's regulating indoor air pollution, regulating air pollution in my living room and, or in my kitchen, as it were. And then she said, quote, I can only imagine the number of my constituents who are unknowingly being poisoned by their gas stoves. Unbelievable. All right. A government official, as I said, in India has been suspended after he drained an entire reservoir because he needed to retrieve his cell phone, which he dropped while taking a selfie. Can't make this stuff up. It took three days. Get this. It took three days to pump hundreds of thousands of gallons of water, literally hundreds of thousands of gallons of water out of this reservoir in India. Rajesh Vishwas dropped the phone while taking a selfie. And by the way, when they found it, it was too waterlogged. They couldn't get it to work anyway. What a waste. He says that it contained sensitive government data, so it needed to be retrieved. Um, but he's being accused of abusing his position, of abusing his power. Uh, he's a food inspector. Um, he dropped the phone was worth about twelve hundred dollars, by the way, Samsung phone, which is a lot of rupees, like a hundred thousand rupees. Um, and local divers first went in, but they couldn't find it, so they paid for a diesel pump. And he said he had permission; he had verbal permission from an official to drain some water into a nearby canal. They emptied out four hundred and forty thousand gallons of water, which is enough to irrigate. Uh, to irrigate, I'm sorry, to irrigate. Um, Six square kilometers of farmland. The DOJ, as I said, has fired the entire IRS team investigating Hunter Biden, uh, the, the, the tax fraud scandal and whatever various other scandals they're investigating. The IRS, I'm not exaggerating, they removed the entire investigative team. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. The media has buried this. But um, from the tax fraud probe against Hunter Biden, they did this in retaliation against the IRS whistleblower, who has contacted Congress, we've told you about this, who, is, who says there's a massive cover-up going on in the, in the investigation against Hunter Biden. No shock there. And this purge was done. Okay, they purged the entire team investigating Hunter Biden. How is this not plastered on every front page across the country? I mean, imagine, and, and even not Fox News, by the way. They're, they're a bunch of sellouts. Imagine if this were Trump. Imagine if Don Jr. was being investigated and uh, the uh, Bill Barr, A.G. William Barr, had fired the team, or even one, forget the team, even one investigator into Don Jr. or Eric Trump, okay, or Ivanka. Um, the whistleblower's attorney informed congressional leaders in a letter about this firing, quote, today the IRS criminal supervisory special agent we represent was informed that he and his entire investigative team are being removed from the investigation of the high-profile, controversial subject about which our clients sought to make whistleblower disclosures to Congress. He was informed of the change being at the request of the Department of Justice. How is Merrick Garland not being impeached? I mean, for obstruction of justice. It's just unbelievable. All right, um, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.